Hey, Robert. Hey, Yaron. So another boring week in financial markets, huh? Yeah, hardly anything happens these days. So um, we talked about the UK bond situation, and uh, and today Liz Trust, the, the Prime Minister of the UK, resigned under pressure after backtracking from everything she proposed. She she gave it all back, and now she's resigned. So that's all in turmoil now because who knows who they're going to um, who they're going to elect. But uh, we were talking the other day and. Um, remembering uh, the uh, the bond vigilantes of uh, the 1990s. And it feels like they're back, at least in uh, in, in the UK. So um, so what were the bond vigilantes? Let's, let's do a little bit of history first. Well, uh, the first sort of batch of deficits happened in, early in the Reagan years when yep. they started trying to cut taxes. And of course, the economy was terrible. Uh, and so there, there was a fear that we were going to have these unsustainable deficits. Uh, and then growth picked up and deficits shrank. And then uh, tax reform happened and deficits shrank. And then we the economy slowed in the recession in the early 90s. Uh, and the deficits came back. And when I say deficits, I mean, we, we've been running a deficit for a long, long time, but it, the deficit relative to the total size of the US economy, it's kind of sort of like your credit card balance. If your credit card balance is $1,000 when you're a college student, that might be a real problem yeah. uh, because you have very little income. But if you're, when you're an adult with a career, $1,000 is just normal or even 10 times that because that's just sort of your normal spending, you pay it off. And so the way that, um, that the term vigilantes came about was you know, during the Clinton years, because when Clinton was elected, uh, George H. Bush uh, lost his reelection bid, you know, probably because of the recession that had yep. just happened. Uh, and so Clinton inherited an economy that was uh, coming out of recession and uh, deficits were recent deficits were relatively high interest rates were higher than they are today you know the idea that rates today are yeah. super high is is uh would be significantly higher than they are significantly higher than they are much higher you know having getting a seven percent mortgage uh back in the in the 90s was would, would have been yeah. a dream you know and it, and it did happen but it was very brief it was the exception not the rule on the other yeah. side so clinton had uh, aspirations uh you know he was the first democratic president since Jimmy Carter, and he uh, wanted to basically do Obamacare, a version of Obamacare. People called it Hillary Care because uh, his wife was, was leading that effort. And it, it completely blew up. Uh, and part of it was because of Republican um, resistance. Um, part of it was because those things just haven't been popular uh, when they've yep. been proposed, even Obamacare, with the general public. But a lot of it was because the interest rates on treasury bills, treasury notes, and treasury bonds would respond very quickly to a perceived change in macroeconomic policy. So if you're going to take over the healthcare sector, which is a huge sector, and mm -hmm. you know we all know the government always comes in under budget and, and <laughs> on time. And so it, it was viewed as potentially a disaster for the, the federal government's finances. And interest rates would shoot up and then they would they would roll back and interest rates would come down and 
interest rates would be at, at the, what are would you today you think is a high level, but we're at a more acceptable levels. And then they proposed something else and interest rates would shoot up. And so uh, Clinton felt very constrained on, you know, almost handcuffed yeah. by the reaction of financial markets. And we haven't, you know, we've had zero interest rates for a long time in the US, but that was true in UK as well. Um, we haven't had any discipline by financial markets for a long time. And the way that uh, it was characterized were that if you got out of line as a politician, the bond vigilantes would ride in and they would slap you down by interest rates going up. And in a sense, the first vigilante was the currency vigilantes. I mean, they were they were very active and, and uh, they crushed the, 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 the UK pound. I think it went, um, that's when it first got its big decline was when George Soros made his for, made his name for himself by by betting against the pound and and driving it low and then of course the Asian financial crisis was all about in a sense the the financial markets saying you can't fix your currencies at these rates your currencies are not worth anywhere close to these values and basically they were shorting the currencies uh, and uh, and and that brought about the 1998 financial crisis so that period that whole period during the 90s it seemed financial markets were actively disciplining politicians, whether it was on the currency side, in in primarily in um, in uh, third world countries or in developing countries, and then of course in the bond market uh, in the U.S. to the point where George Carvel Carvel is that yeah, what did he Jim say? Car- he said Jim if he was re- James Carvel, if he was reborn, he wanted to be reborn as the bond ma- you know as the as the bond market because they were more powerful than God. Or, um, and, and it seemed, it seemed that there, and it's, it, it'd be interesting. We, we can talk about why it went away, but it, it actually achieved, I mean, one of the things that it, it achieved, because I don't think this was anything that, um, Clinton necessarily wanted was that by the end of his term, there were actually budget surpluses. Not part of that is because of Gingrich and the Republicans, but certainly part of it is because of this discipline that financial markets, um, uh, enacted on, uh, on the administration. Absolutely. And, you know, the, the twin, so the U.S. doesn't get disciplined by currency. I mean, the, the dollar does fluctuate, but yeah. it's not as painful for us. But the twin uh, sources of discipline, currency and interest rates, you, you sort of have to pick your poison if you're a government, because if you yeah. try and fix a currency, then your rates go nuts. And if you try and fix your rates, then your currency goes nuts. And uh, that that is, that's exactly what discipline is, is you, know, you can't get around it. And it wasn't um, viewed as, as being something in historically, you know, for the US, it wasn't viewed as being something that constrained the federal government. And it was really interesting to see at the time, uh, Gingrich uh, and, and the Republicans in Congress and Clinton sort of negotiate, uh, it was almost like a dance because there were definitely political points to be won for swinging what you know had been a long-term concern about the deficit into a surplus. Mm-hmm. And so there, there was a lot of, and I think a lot of it was politics, but some of it I think was, was really believing that it was better for the federal government to run surpluses during good times and then deficits during bad times than to always run a deficit. And, and you saw this sort of bipartisanship and everyone was getting props. Uh, so I don't think Clinton started out as president wanting to be remembered for his economic policies and his success at reigning in the deficit. But once it started to happen, 
you know, why not? You know, yep. lead with your strength. And and of course, as soon as Republicans won the White House, House and Senate, uh, it all went to hell. Back through the roof. <laughs> through the roof. And part of it was it, the end of the tech bubble. You know, the tech yeah, bubble I mean, helped create the surpluses. But yeah, still, Clinton you're, benefited you're exactly from right. those from those capital gains, uh, from the capital gains taxes from the tech bubble. Um, so in the last 20 years, really, certainly since the financial crisis, the last 12 years, it doesn't seem like financial markets have acted as a disciplining mechanism. Um, and, you know, I assume much of that has to do, or most of it has to do with the fact that uh, the bond market has been manipulated um, by the Fed. That is, the Fed has been an active participant, not just determining, as it always does, short-term rates, but actually determining the entire yield structure, or at least influencing the entire yield structure. Well, there's... The I think it all started with the what people call the Greenspan put, yeah. um, where uh, Alan Greenspan seemed willing to step into the market in the same way that the Bank of England did uh, when Gilt started going nuts to provide some stability, provide a buyer of last resort to in times where it was viewed to be uh, a market, a failure of the market structure rather than a, the actual economic pressures. Yep. But of course, if you get the idea that the Fed is going to bail you out anytime that markets go down, uh, then you behave very differently than if you are worried about markets dropping a lot. Now, I think this has been way oversold because certainly the Fed did not stop the market from going down in 2008 and 2009. Uh, you can argue the Fed made mistakes, yep. uh, but the, the reality is we had a big drop in 2000 from you know early 2000 through 2001 through 9-11 into 2002 in the market we had another big drop in the late uh, 20s uh, but that that idea that the the market isn't disciplining the fed or washington mm -hmm. but instead they are supporting it it's a really twisted and toxic Way to look at things it's it's like we often see with uh, regulators and the companies that they regulate that the the regulators end up working for the in, in to the benefit of the companies and the companies mm -hmm. end up supporting the regulators in ways that don't accomplish the original goals yeah and and uh and of course something shifted in 0809 because they certainly try to support the market but uh but it was it was beyond i think their, their means but something shifted in that they started buying bonds on a scale that nobody had ever seen and not just treasuries we were talking about uh mortgage rates earlier and, and mortgage rates are right now 20 year highs or something like that and um and the two aspects of that one is the 10 years high but the other aspect is the fed's not buying mortgage-backed securities anymore it, it's been buying them for 12 years yeah, the the put in <coughs> excuse me, the put in the bond markets has been that the Fed was uh, an active and massive buyer, mm -hmm. and this is true in central banks around the world. Yep. And so the the movement really went from that the Fed would cut interest rates in order to support the stock market, which I don't think was ever exactly true. Yeah. Uh, it was, you know, the Fed would cut rates to offset financial shocks and the stock market could be one of those financial shocks. But the Fed was very clearly stepping in both after the financial crisis, but even more so like by a factor of five uh, after COVID started. 
And that may have been the right thing to do, uh, but it has consequences. If it were a free lunch, you know, we would just do it all the time. Uh, So the the fact that the Fed would come in anytime that interest rates are up and the Bank of Japan is still doing this, Mm -hmm. uh, that that makes bonds uh, and mortgages and any fixed income securities a very different investment than without that sort of put. So you mentioned the Bank of Japan and you mentioned interest rates and currency earlier. And I was noticing that today uh, the yen reached 150 yen to the dollar, which I don't think it's ever been that high in terms of that cheap. Um, I thought I thought I was getting a deal when I was in Japan and it was 144. I, I should have waited. Exactly. Well, that's because the Bank of Japan is committed yep. to zero no interest rates. Yep. And they're the only... Well, they have no inflation. You know, the one thing is that they don't have any inflation. So real rates, I don't know if real rates are that different in Japan than here, but it doesn't seem like people care as much about real rates. I, I, I don't quite understand what's going on in the interest rate world. Because we're still, you know, our 10 years still negative, right? We were still under inflation. Uh, all of our, our entire yield structure, yield curve is, is below inflation rates. So we're still running negative interest rates. Japan is running negative interest rates, I think, but they strike me as smaller. So uh, I don't know, but it's inflation, you know, ends up showing up both in the currency and in the nominal rate. So I yep. think it washes yep. out when you're talking yep. about the two of those together. Uh, and it's just a great illustration of the point that you can you can have one or the other, but you can't have both. And what Japan is is has chosen is low interest rates and a weak currency. What the U.S. has chosen is higher interest rates and a strong currency. Yes, I'm surprised at how strong the currency is, given that interest rates are not even higher in the U.S. That that's my only my only point. You'd expect interest rates, given the currency strength. I'd expect interest rates to be closer to the rate of inflation, and they're not. But I, I think it's markets, that, you know, yeah, and I think that there's a definitely the dollar is a unique uh, yeah. example, yes. and that you can't draw conclusions for other currencies. Yes, I agree. When you have a war going on and shit like that. It's a rush to safety, and on top of anything else, because because you know people are worried about macro stability. I mean. The Prime Minister of England keeps resigning uh, as an example of that, but and, and the dollar is something they run to whenever there's, uh, there's this kind of instability. It's interesting. Gold is not up. None of the things that we usually associated with these things, are, and crypto certainly is not up, um, right. but the dollar is, which is... which is. Well, but see, dollars, you can get those higher rates. You don't get them yeah. in crypto. Yeah. You don't. I mean, you That's get right. them promised to you, and then all your, you lose all your money in crypto. <laughs> Uh, and you don't get it in gold. And there's yeah. again, that's a, that's the dollar is unique uh, yeah. in terms of the ability yeah. to buy treasury bills. If you had to hold it in cash, totally understand it would be the exact same thing. So uh, let's talk a little bit about um, economic policy from the perspective of ingenuism and and from in the context of like Liz Truss and and what happened in England. So she she came in fresh. She's she's a generally free market leaning um, uh, person. She thought, okay, you know, what what am I going to do? I'm going to cut taxes and I'm going to increase spending, which is a little bizarre. But the increased spending was almost all um, energy related. So it was almost all kind of politically necessary. I, I don't know that you could get away with not doing something like that in Europe right now. Every country's doing it. Cutting taxes. And of course, the market flipped out 
because of potential deficits and because uh, of, 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 you know, uh, so interest rates shot up and that created kind of a, a financial crisis. We won't get into the technicalities. But what else, what other levers do, does, a, does the, you know, the politicians have to improve an economy or to improve the, 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 the growth rate? And ultimately, she said when she came in, she was going to be the prime minister for growth. She wanted economic growth other than taxes, which it, it seems like the easy thing for them to do. You know, Republicans do that every single time they get in. They cut taxes. And then what? Nothing much. But uh, what, what else? Well, this is how all of what's going on really relates to ingenuism because yep. if you if you wanted to know how, what's an effective macroeconomic policy you'd be very excited about the bond vigilantes being back because now you're getting immediate feedback as opposed to having to wait to see you know how growth turns out to be for the next decade and if you were not doing things randomly but trying to design them based on what you knew you might especially if you're this trust look back at at Reagan and of course the an analog in Britain at the time was Thatcher and who had really successful from an economic standpoint uh, really su successful terms careers uh, they, mm -hmm. they turned the US and the UK economies in a different direction you know the trajectory had been bad and then suddenly it wasn't bad now people argue terrible things and you know that, that's that's fine it's not true um, and it wasn't like hell and then heaven, but there was definitely a massive shift in a trajectory from uh, where things had seemed to be continually getting worse to things getting better. And if you look at the Reagan model, and I don't know as much about the Thatcher model, although I suspect it was very similar, um, I just don't know if, if they had the same increase in defense spending. So Reagan's idea was we're going to cut taxes, we're going to continue the deregulation that started under Jimmy Carter, we're going to, you know, we're going to be, stand tough against uh, adding new burdens to the economy, and we're going to increase military spending, not because we want to stimulate the economy, mm -hmm. or do any, but because we have to deal with the Soviet Union, you know, yeah. that, that needs to be handled. And so that's why deficits popped up. Uh, and if I'm looking back and I go, okay, well, you know, I can either go go uh, try and do a Clinton or I can try and do a Reagan. I'm Liz Truss, I probably tried to do a Reagan. And that's sort of what it looked like. Now, you know, just getting rid of the top tax rate, um, as opposed to, you know, massively broadening and lowering tax rates across the board, uh, spending a bunch of money on um, energy subsidies versus yeah. building, you know, more of a industrial infrastructure that has technological uh, spinoffs. You know, it, it doesn't look quite as good a plan, but it's fast, and I could see why she thought it would work. Uh, I'm certainly surprised at how quickly it crashed and burned, but that's really useful information because it's not random. It's not like a bunch of uh, left-leaning Twitter folks condemned it and then it crashed. It's because people who are trading literally trillions of dollars worth of financial instruments around the globe looked at it and said, you know what, this is not going to do what you you." Uh, think it's going to do or you say you want it to do or, We're not or maybe well in the long run but in the short run interest rates are going way up and and that's a problem for us it's it's a well it's a, a question is why do interest rates go way up it, it definitely was a problem i think it was a strong signal about the long term that doesn't mean it's right it just means yeah. if you were handicapping the success of that particular plan and you wouldn't know the reality for a decade 
you, you know, I personally might have gone into it thinking, oh, well, you know, 60-40, this will actually work well. Yeah. And then immediately given the financial market's response, I'm apt to look at it and say, you know, 70-30, it's not going to go well. And it's because the Bank of England wasn't involved. If the Bank of England were involved in buying all the deals, I would have thought, okay, this is just more nonsense. Um, and the fact that they had to step back in to, to keep the markets from blowing up, that was a strong signal for me. So Thatcher actually, as far as I remember, didn't really cut taxes. Um, but what she did is she completely restructured the, the, the British economy. I mean, she massively deregulated and privatized. So it, it, Britain, of course, was much more socialist. Yeah, than you US should countries. explain what that means because nobody in the US understands that. <laughs> so in Britain, the means of production were owned by the state. You know, the railroads were owned by the state, much, much of the, uh, a bunch of industries were owned by the state. I mean, literally, this was socialism in the sense that the means of production owned by and run by, and, and that had failed. And and uh, the UK was much more socialist in that sense than, than the US ever was. Uh, and it had suffered much more. I mean, uh, the, the UK economy in the early mid 70s was a disaster, a complete, complete utter disaster. And she came in, she privatized, she she sold the railroad, she sold, um, and then and then she she broke the unions, which is similar to what, uh, what uh, um, Reagan did. I mean, Reagan also fought the unions and, and uh, and, it was the flight. Uh, that sent a signal. He did it once. All you have to do sometimes is was once. Was the stake in the ground? Yeah. yeah. And she, with her, it was the it was the mining unions. And uh, uh, to this day, the Brits. I mean, funnily enough, most Brits don't like Margaret Thatcher, in spite of the fact that she completely changed their their, their world for the better. They they have no appreciation for that. But she spent a lot of time, and a lot of what she did was. Um, step back from markets and allow markets to function, allow kind of the ingenuism process to happen. To And, and uh, the, the beauty of, in a sense, deregulating is not that now there are no controls in the market in the sense that there don't maybe no government controls, but you let now the market establish its own its own levels and its own, um, its own controls and allow for kind of ingenuity and entrepreneurship. And Britain came back. It, it came back in a sense of entrepreneurs, it came back in, in new businesses, uh, and uh, and of course it became a financial center, uh, which I think is all kind of um, built around this. Once you open up the space, people innovate and 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 figure out you know where your comparative advantage is globally and 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 where you can contribute the most, and and I think that process happened in the nineteen eighties in England, and it happened in the nineteen eighties in the U.S. I mean we. In the US, one of the things that happened because of deregulation, financial markets, all that was the the shutdown of, you know, the what did they call it? The Rust Belt, you know, the, the in a sense, the transfer of capital from the Rust Belt to Silicon Valley, which is maybe one of the most underappreciated stories um, of, 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 of that period. I mean, yes, a lot of people lost their jobs in the Rust Belt and there was a lot of pain, but net the economy added jobs and most of those jobs were better jobs in places like technology yeah if you would you rather have toyota or would you rather have tesla or would you rather have toyota or would you rather have apple yeah uh, and that, yeah. that that's not a, a distinct choice like nobody is making those kind of choices from on a high but that is the result that comes out of you know, protecting what exists versus allowing 
things to to fail, people to learn, and new new stuff to emerge. And I think you make a really important point, um, which is that things were very different in Thatcher's Great Britain than Reagan's America mm -hmm. because they were at different places. And what both of them did was to go after the low hanging fruit. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't. And, and in fact, you know, I I talked about tax reform with Reagan, but tax reform didn't happen until 1986. He was elected in yeah, was uh, late. In 80, he became president in 81. So it was his second term. He was a lame duck president when he did right. tax return reform, which is sort of amazing if you think about it. But the low hanging fruit of allowing ingenuism, allowing markets, allowing really people to figure stuff out, it, it, you can't overstate it. Uh, that, that really is what drove both successes. And so if you were Liz Truss and you were looking at it like, okay, mechanically, I need to cut taxes here and I need to, then you're missing the point. What you need to do is, is free people. And if you free them, not only do you get results, but you get a, an entirely new environment. Like it's a, it's a different world. Uh, and you can see that in Asia right now. I mean, Hong Kong used to be the hub of Asia and where the most dynamic area in the financial center and every, and it's just gone. And, yeah, it's, and, and all in all at once, it kind of yeah. just nobody talks about Hong Kong. China took it, and it's just gone. It's uh, you know, and and what's interesting is that when she came into office, Trust said, you know, the whole Brexit thing is interesting. The UK separated, and one of the reasons for separation was sovereignty, and the idea that Brussels was imposing all these regulations on them that they didn't really want. And one of her promises was originally, well, I will, I, I'm going to get rid of all the regulations that Brussels imposed on us that we think are superfluous, which, uh, which, you know, is probably a lot. And if she'd led with that, the low hanging fruit, led in, instead of tax cuts, which, which in an environment like this, and is, it, it seems like it's, it's, it just doesn't play well politically, even if it makes some sense economically, although. The bond market doesn't think it makes any sense. But deregulation, nobody would have minded. There's no constituency to say, maybe they'd Vimelis or maybe, but there's no constituency to go out in the streets and passionately say, no, stop it, you have to resign. And yet the economic upside of freeing people up uh, is immense. And then later on, just like Reagan, you can cut taxes or you can restructure the tax code in a productive way. Um, I mean, she was going to do some good things, like cut corporate taxes significantly, which I, I think is one of the, if you're going to cut taxes, corporate taxes are probably one of the better taxes to cut. It's low-hanging fruit. It's just easy yes. to demonize. Yes. Yeah. But uh, the deregulating all the European junk would have been so much, so easy. And uh, I think financial markets would respond positively. It would have been uh, what they promised with, with Brexit. I think a constituency would have pro would respond positively. It's, uh, but, you know, it... it, it on the other hand, I'm giving political advice, you know, so uh, it, it, you, <laughs> you have to be careful with that. That's um, true. These are professional politicians. You think they know this stuff, but I don't know. Well, I'm sure people, I'm, I'm sure that politicians learn from this. You know, unfortunately, I, I'm not sure they learned the right lessons. And I'm not even sure what yeah. the right lessons are. But yeah. this is something that I think U.S. politicians should pay real yes. close attention to. And, and the jump in rates, which... Everyone's talking about how rates are, are going up so much and they're so high and they just have very short memories. Uh, it could get much, much worse. Um, I'm not predicting that it will. In fact, I don't think it will. 
But if inflation doesn't come down, then rates will have to go up a lot more than where they're currently at. And so you have a massive uh, amount of debt being having been created over the last uh, four years uh, and just like massive numbers. COVID yep. changed the equation completely. Any uh, discussion of deficit reduction, any sort of restraint that usually would come from the Republican side, particularly when Democrats are in power and choosing where the spending's going, uh, just it, it vanished. Yeah. And so now as interest rates go up, the interest expense uh, for the government is gonna be over a trillion dollars uh, a year. And there, there is no cushion like we had in the early 80s where mm -hmm. you could, or, or arguably any time since then, uh, where you could, as Republicans go in and say, okay, we're just gonna cut taxes and expect it to work economically. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know what will happen in the next Congress in this election. It'll probably get divided government, which would be good. So things would be pretty staid. Um, but if we get uh, undivided government again and people start rolling out multi-trillion dollar tax cuts or spending bills, uh, I think we're gonna see the bond vigilantes return. And yep. thank God there's nothing else that stops these, these yeah, no, it was a good time in the 90s. And, you know, you're right. I mean, the 10 years at 4.2, um, it could be at eight. I mean, it's not unthinkable. It's been at eight. It's been much higher than eight. Um, and with inflation at eight, it's not shocking even right now uh, to think of it. The, you know, the, the expectation is still inflation is coming down, but we're yet to see it coming down. Uh, so, um See, yes. I mean, uh, I, I think this is probably this might long term be good um, if politicians are paying attention, if if they if they look at what's happening in the UK and they learn something from it. But but we will see. I think we're going to get divided government. So we won't actually test that. But um, and that's one thing we've learned um, is that divided government produces better results. And it's not shocking. It, it not at all. It yeah. falls against the, if only we had a you know strong authoritarian who could come in and make the changes that we need, things would just be better. Uh, but it, it is best to have some constraints. And if it isn't the bond vigilantes, then divided government works well. And what we've seen is that together, we could actually have budget surpluses, although I'm not predicting that anytime soon. <laughs> Not without the no, security. not at the level of deficits we're running right now, uh, but uh, but yes, and yeah, yeah, we have to be careful of strong authoritarians for lots of reasons. We we, we don't want to invade Canada or anything like that. So, um, I don't know. What are you doing this weekend? We could. <laughs> I'm invading Norway, um, as the case may be. All right, good. I think we solved the problems of the world. Um, but yes. What every week we do, uh, but yes, the, the solution is more freedom, uh, and and to you know basically the idea is to to let out those um, ingenuous spirits so that people can experiment, try things, fail, but mostly succeed. I mean that's the end result, right? Mostly succeed, and and that's what economic growth is. It's businesses succeeding. It's businesses making profits. It's businesses growing and hiring people. That's that's what economic growth at the end of the day is. All right, Robert, have, uh, have a great weekend. Thanks, Yaron. You too. Bye.